Incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is mall. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. They're long and prosperous. And welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. Hailing from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, he is the bearded beast, the cinefreak, the first of season two. He is your current special guest. It's Mr. Justin Bishop. Yay! Justin Bishop. What's up? <laughs> What's going wasn't, on? Wait, wasn't Gary technically the first of season two? Uh, no, well, because we we can sit we we did the episode. It was the end of part one. Were the end of part one, but that that episode with him is the last one of season one of this show. So you're technically the first guest. Oh, you're doing two. seasons on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Very confusing to me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, especially when the episodes of the show don't line up with the episodes of the podcast. So, because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is episode 24 of the podcast. And I think, Gary, that episode was uh, 21 or so. Back. No, it was like 26. There's a lot of episodes in season Oh, that's right. One. Yeah. 20, yeah. 25 and 26 of Enterprise. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. It gets confusing for folks. <laughs> I imagine it's going to continue to do so. And yeah. I try to keep everything listed. Well, anyway, <laughs> they'll figure it out. <laughs> how you been, man? I'm all right. They're opening up the theaters again. How much have you, uh, how much have you ventured out? I have seen probably four or five movies in the theater. But to be fair, you go pretty regularly once, twice a week, uh, at least once a week, most of the week. time. Uh, that hasn't been the case so far since they reopened because for the first few weeks that they reopened, there were not very many movies. <laughs> That's true. Out. Yeah. There weren't, there weren't enough to get me out to the theater uh, that many times. But yeah, I've, I've seen, what have I seen in the theater? What was the first thing I saw? Hmm. Let uh, me think. Hold on. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. Uh, no, let's see. This would have been back in May probably, right? S- saw maybe? No, no. I saw Wrath of Man. Man, I've seen more than I thought. Let's see. I'm going to tell you. Not Mortal Kombat. I watched that at home. I still haven't seen that. I'd like to see that. Is that new one pretty decent? Um, I mean, the fights are fun. And yeah. and that's all I'm looking for. <laughs> there is no story at all. Um, if you want some fun fights. And yeah, I, I think... I want, I think Wrath of Man, what a bizarre return to the theater, but I think Wrath of Man might have been the first movie I saw back in the theater. Wrath of Man, um, who, guy, who's in that? Jason Statham, it's the latest Guy Ritchie movie. Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's very good. I mean, it's pretty good. Um, <laughs> nice. No, I, I liked it. I, it's better than a lot of other recent Guy Ritchie movies, except uh, I like The Gentleman. That one was pretty good solid gentleman um, i wanted to I, I dig guy Ritchie stuff what i've seen i mean you're, i think i've seen quite a few of his um, um i'm not a fan of his like uh sherlock holmes movies didn't like those very much 
I don't know. I like his early stuff. He lost his way when he when he started doing Hollywood stuff. But uh, Man from Uncle is fine, you know. But yeah. yeah. So I oh no no no. The first movie I saw back in theaters was Godzilla versus Kong, oh. which I had watched on HBO. And when theaters opened, I was like, I want to see that on the big screen. So I went back to see it. Yeah, I yeah, that's what it was. I imagine that's, that's all a di- different experience altogether. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I saw Wrath of Man. I saw the new the new Saw movie Spiral. Uh, Quiet Place to the Forever Purge and F9 is the most recent one I've seen. I have not seen Black Widow yet. Um, wow. Probably going to see that tomorrow. We stayed home for Black Widow and we enjoyed it, but we were talking about it earlier today. The, uh, the wife and I, she she watched it with me and I saw an article online. I forget, I forget the source, but they were talking about that it was kind of too little too late. You know, that needed to have happened probably phase one, phase two and not phase five. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. It's a, it's a bummer because it's a fun movie, and I really didn't. I really enjoyed it. And um, the girl that plays the sister from Midsummer, yeah, Florence Pugh. Yes, I love uh, her. Great. Yeah, she's fantastic. And I mean, it seems like they're you know spoilers if you haven't seen Black Widow, but I feel like they're kind of grooming her to be the new Black Widow since you know Scar Scarjo's got the you know uh, is no longer with the Avengers. But yeah, I think that'll be fun and it should be interesting if nothing else. She definitely brings a fun vibe to that character and but like it also like a realness to her as well. Yeah. I dig it. I like yeah, I'm excited to see it. I mean, Marvel rarely does wrong and uh I've been watching Loki and it is outstanding. Yes, so it is. Oh opening up some pretty wild corners of the uh the marvel universe so oh yeah uh, and with and with enough easter eggs to choke the cadbury bunny oh dude especially (laughs) in this most recent episode yes uh geez the thanos helicopter like uh, so much stuff the frog four in the jar (laughs) yeah yeah apparently chris hemsworth originally i i read like recorded dialogue for that that they ended up not using oh yeah <laughs> yeah I, the I, episode. I caught a video on uh you know like so many videos on youtube just deep diving and all of it and i just sat yeah. just riveted to all the easter eggs i was like i knew i caught i caught some of them but man i think i only got a fraction of what was actually there <laughs> yeah well other than what we're covering today have you watched any other star trek <laughs> No, no. (laughs) And that's okay. That's all right. I mean, but you've, you've watched it because you've been on the show like three or four times now, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is any of it starting to gel for you? You know, you mean on enterprise specifically? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, uh, Well, yes. I would say that these two episodes are probably my favorite ones that I've watched so far. Really? Okay. I feel like the characters were more, were, were less insufferable. That doesn't sound like ringing praise, but there are some characters. Well, granted, one of these episodes, you barely see any characters except for uh, T'Pol. Yeah. And she's playing her great grandmother. Yeah. Her super hot great grandmother. (laughs) (laughs) But the hillbilly guy that I'd hated so much last time I was on the show, Mm. he's Trip. Yeah. Right. Trip. Yep. He is much more tolerable now. Like he's not just a one note, at least on these two episodes, not just a one note, angry hillbilly guy. Right. Like he seems he's like, he's a little more likable. I mm-hmm. feel like, although granted on these two, these two episodes are both very character based. Uh, like, like what I mean, uh, very like 
focused on one character basically yeah you know which i like you know but yeah you don't really get a lot from the other people i mean in in the first one carbon creek i kept singing up on carbon creek in the tune of up on cripple creek by the band up on cripple creek she sends me if i spring a leak You're welcome for me not doing that on the air. <laughs> that episode, you don't really see anyone except for Trip and Archer and yeah. Paul, obviously. And then every other character is somebody new. Yeah, it's it, that's a lot of fun. I've always said this about the Star Trek stuff. It, it's easy to get swept up in the ship, the tech, the aliens, the whole thing. But it's the crew. It's always the crew. You, well, which you- is, I think, why I had a hard time getting into the show earlier on. It's because I don't I didn't really like hardly anyone in the crew. Right. You know? And at this I point, mean, Archer is, was, has been fine. And I liked uh, Hoshi because I think one of the episodes I watched before was kind of a Hoshi centric episode, mm-hmm. but nobody else really, I didn't, they weren't very likable characters. Yeah. And in those think, earlier episodes. Exactly. And I think with this being so beholden to, you know, this of course came after the whole TNG era being TNG, DS9 and Voyager. Mm-hmm. It was so beholden to that where it really didn't have to be. And I think it was Fred Decker who was just, who was involved in the show right off the bat for a good long while, but then ended up jumping ship going, look, we had a chance to do something brand new and we didn't really. I think it was creatively disappointing for him. And I think that ended up coming across on screen for a lot of fans. Now, you know, the diehards will push through and (laughs) really look for that silver lining. But at the end of the day, if you're not on board with the characters, this is a tough four seasons to sit through. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Speaking of uh, the characters and their adventures, let's get into this week's recap. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Did beings from another world visit Earth? We'll need to disguise ourselves. What is it? I believe you have that garment on backwards. The Star Trek story that rewrites history as you know it. I Love Lucy is on tonight. An all-new episode of Enterprise, next Wednesday at 8, 7 Central on UPN. Archer, Tripp, and T'Pol are having dinner to celebrate the first anniversary of T'Pol's assignment aboard Enterprise. During conversation, Archer asked T'Pol why she went to Carbon Creek, Pennsylvania before she joined Enterprise. T'Pol reveals that, contrary to human belief, the first contact between humans and Vulcans, as depicted in Jonathan Frake's film, actually occurred a century earlier. Tripp and Archer react incredulously to this claim. So T'Pol offers to tell them her great-grandmother's story. Tamir is a member of a four Vulcan crew studying Earth from orbit in 1957 when they witnessed the launch of Sputnik, the planet's first artificial satellite. A mishap with their impulse manifold forces the ship to crash land in Pennsylvania. The captain is killed and Tamir, as second in command, takes charge. A distress signal is sent, but after more than two weeks, no reply is received. Fearing starvation, Mestrel and Tamir enter the nearby town of Carbon Creek. Where everybody knows your name. Over the next few months, the Vulcans successfully integrate themselves with the townsfolk, renting an apartment from Maggie, a tavern owner. 
One day, there's an explosion in the nearby mine. Maestrel helps rescue the trapped miners by covertly blasting through a rock wall with a phaser. Eventually, a Vulcan vessel signals that it will arrive to retrieve the crew. Before leaving, Tamir learns a human lesson in compassion and travels by train to Pittsburgh. Black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow. Where she sells the rights to Velcro. The money she receives is more than enough to pay for the college education of their landlady's son. As the Vulcan ship arrives, Maestrel announces he's going to stay on Earth and observe more I Love Lucy. Tamir reluctantly agrees and tells the rescuers that Maestrel died along with the captain. T'Pol leaves Archer and Trip, unsure whether or not to believe her story. In her quarters, she reveals she still has Tamir's 1950s era handbag. A handbag! And then... Stay on UPN. Don't miss an all-new Enterprise. A time bomb is ticking. It's too dangerous. I'm not about to leave one of my crew behind. The enemy lies in wait. I've got a man trapped out there. But the danger has just begun. Cam, what's going on? Romulus. All-new Enterprise, next Wednesday at 8, 7 central on UPN. Archer is in the captain's private mess, trying unsuccessfully to get to know Lieutenant Reed better. Meanwhile, Enterprise nears an uncharted and seemingly uninhabited planet for closer observation. Its proximity triggers a cloaked mine, heavily damaging the ship and flooding sickbay with injured crew members. Soon, another cloaked mine is detected as it attaches itself to the hull but doesn't go off. With the core already damaged, it is feared that a further detonation will totally disable the vessel. Reed takes a space stroll to try to disarm it. As a backup plan, Archer orders Trip to prepare to detach and jettison the affected section of the hull plating. Initially, Reed's efforts seem to be working, but an alien vessel decloaks and fires warning shots. Travis steers the ship out of the minefield. Like a mouse! During the maneuvers, a jolt accidentally activates another magnetic grappling arm that impales Reed's leg before attaching itself to the spaceship's hull, thus pinning him down. Archer then dons an EVA suit and attempts to disarm the mine under Reed's direction. Enterprise then makes first contact with the Romulan Star Empire when two warbirds decloak and demand that they jettison the mine with Reed attached. Knowing that any attempt to cut the arm could set it off, Reed becomes insistent on sacrificing himself to save Enterprise. God, it sucks up here. Archer returns to the ship and requests two space bus doors from a puzzled trip, also ordering him to detach the hull plate as planned. As the plates and the attached mine float off into space like George Clooney's sick of Sandy's boy, <coughs> he severs the spike holding Reed. This arms the mine, but Reed and Archer are able to shield themselves from the resulting explosion with the space bus doors. Enterprise collects the crewmen before warping away from the Romulans. Girl, Bob. So we get to see a little bit of trek in different time periods i always enjoy time travel episodes and of course i had my fun with gary on uh, shockwave but how did you feel about carbon creek i liked it when it first started i was rolling my eyes a little bit like towards the beginning of the episode mm -hmm. thinking because they were doing this fish out of water thing that's been done a million times you know uh, right. and i thought that was going to be the whole episode mm -hmm. uh and which would have been very tedious yeah. <laughs> but luckily <laughs> they got they actually got past that pretty quickly and got into like once they realized hey we're stuck here for a while and started integrating themselves into life in this little this little town in pennsylvania uh it actually got pretty good considering only one of the characters in here are people that you even know yeah uh, on any sort uh, but, of level. Yeah. So I really liked that episode. I thought it was really good. Yeah. I always like alternate views of history. That is always is one of my favorite sci-fi veins to sort of dive into of kind of like what would have happened if. What if?
And yeah. this is kind of a nice look at that where, you know, it's like they said, it's been well documented that Zephram Cochran made contact with the Vulcans in Montana back in, you know, 20. What was that in Star Trek first contact in first contact? Yeah. Yeah. Directed by Jonathan Frakes, which I really like that one. I think uh, some people prefer the, the Picard Kirk crossover of generations, but I like Jonathan Frakes's take on the, on that story. It's pretty neat. Yeah. I haven't seen it since probably when it came out in theater. So it's hard, oh, it's, hard to, hard to it, say. It's a, it's a fun, it's a fun revisit, especially since at that time, you know, TNG had already ended. So uh, everyone's a little bit older than we recall seeing them on the show. And it's a neat look at that period of the Star Trek mythology and, you know, with the Borg coming in too, and Picard and the Borg have always had a, uh, you know, there's always been that great tension between them. I feel like this is, it's really good to watch this along with a few other things before you sit down for like the newer stuff, especially the series Picard. But yeah, this is, it's a lot of fun. And I really got a kick out of uh, hearing the guy go like, no, I got to watch. I love Lucy. (laughs) Yeah. It's weird that they're retconning their own stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it's kind of odd just to tell a story that doesn't seem like it's going to have an impact on the overall mythology of Star Trek. This does feel very much like a standalone episode. Like they even joke at one point, like Archer and, and Trip are joking that it sounds like an episode of the Twilight Zone, <laughs> and it's what it kind of feels like, mm-hmm. uh, like a you know a standalone sci-fi anthology yeah. series. So it, it is aliens were living they, among us. Yeah. Yeah. Which it's one thing if they, if it had just been her bullshitting and telling a story, <laughs> but then she opens up that purse at the end, proving that she was telling the truth, which they just completely rewrite Star Trek canon with that one shot. Yeah. There's been a couple of instances. I mean, here we are at the beginning of season two of enterprise where there's been a few instances so far of them retconning trek history which that is a really touchy subject for like hardcore fans so they're having to do things really delicately in that when we first saw the ferengi back on acquisition they even talked about having to do it really carefully because we technically don't meet first okay there's a difference between a first meeting a first encounter and first contact first contact's more diplomatic whereas an encounter is like you you passed them in the hallway or whatever. So they wanted to make that episode with the Ferengi more of a first encounter as opposed to actual first contact. Because the other side of this, in Minefield, the two ships that decloak, as I mentioned in the recap, are Romulans. And it's been well documented that Kirk is the first person to encounter the Romulans, which is why we never see them. So... Right. They, we hear, we hear them, we see the ships, but we don't actually even, it's a shaky first encounter. Definitely not first contact. It's like Chris Nolan with the Batman trilogy of like, he didn't kill Batman, but he did, you know, he didn't the have Robin, that, but he did like the, the <laughs> difference very with that is that the, the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy stands as their own thing. They're not beholden to any other True. canon. Whereas the, yeah. this is writing itself as part of the overall Star Trek story. I mean, that's the whole premise of your podcast, right? Is tra- is tracking Star Trek from beginning to, right. to end. <laughs> uh, so, so this is not like an alternate version, like 
Nolan's Batman is an alternate version of Batman, just like Tim Burton's Batman is, just like Joel Schumacher's Batman is. Yep. Just like, you know, Matt Reeves's Batman will be. Yeah. But this is as if the DCEU were making a Batman series and we're six movies in and all of a sudden they rewrite that the Joker's the one who killed Batman's parents. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, yes, I know is what Tim Burton did, but again, right. they stand on their own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's some, they're having to do some fancy footwork with that sort of thing. Cause I mean, you know, as well as I do, the fan base for properties like this get vicious <laughs> in well, a word. The weird, vicious. Thing about, <laughs> the weird thing about Star Trek is that at least at this time, they, it's probably different now with Picard and uh, Discovery. But at the time that this was being made and an er, and earlier series, these were shows that were like in syndication. They weren't mm-hmm. shows that were on like a Paramount Plus type network. Right. Where they were being seen as an overall like piece of IP. I mean, they were, but there wasn't like a story group in the same sense that there is for like Marvel. There are people at Marvel whose job is to make sure everything that's part of the MCU all works together and doesn't contradict each other. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. And I know that they, they start these shows with the Bible and this is in Rick Berman, who's working on this was heavily involved in previous Star Trek shows, but mm-hmm. they didn't have a Kevin Feige necessarily. Right. Uh, Gene Roddenberry was never even that. Because that's not how stories were told on TV when Star Trek or even The Next Generation were aired. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah, right. hell, when the first original series aired, you know, they didn't even know people were going to see these shows more than the one time that they aired. Yeah. You know? Because <laughs> there was no yeah. VCRs or anything. No. So they weren't as as concerned with that kind of continuity. This is in a whole different series. Is this the first series to be produced after Roddenberry died? No. He died during ne- DS9. He died during Next Gen. He died, I think, during in the Next Gen. second or third season of Next Gen. That early? And, yeah. Really? Uh, I didn't realize and, that. And then, of course, uh, DS9 started up, and then Voyager soon after that. So Okay, D- so he wasn't Voyager. around for any of those. No, no. I don't know why I thought, yeah, he died in 1991. I, had, I don't know why I thought that he was around for longer than that. But anyway. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. you're absolutely right. TV production was way different back then. And I thought it was kind of fun, you know, going back to uh, Carbon Creek for a second. The mention of Twilight Zone and I Love Lucy, you know, Mm -hmm. of course, Desilu Productions, they made Star Trek. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. That was a nice. Yeah, I didn't think about that. But yeah, you're right. That's fun. Yeah, the uh, I don't know. This episode surprised me. Like, I I, I thought it was charming. Mm -hmm. Um, I really liked the mestrel was that his name uh, yeah that's how i've been pronouncing his mestrel it, it took me a minute to get into his performance that that actor's performance mm-hmm. but i know he's playing it as like a vulcan or whatever but uh he was kind of the heart of the episode yeah a guy who you've never seen before which i thought was a pretty interesting choice because like honestly to paul or or great grandma to paul <laughs> kind of a bitch that's like her that's her performance that's what she is performing as like yeah she comes into this town and she's just a jerk to like everyone like as soon as she walks i think it which i guess is almost what to paul's character is too yeah Um, and we see her kind of softening up as things go along because well in the in the uh the wraparound story in this i mean she's clearly warming up to the crew that she's been living with for the last year. Yeah. But grandma to Paul was 
cold. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> and I think it makes I think until the makes, end. You know, she exactly. comes around. Yeah. I think it makes moments like when they are first finding their clothes, where they have to show her in silhouette behind that sheet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't. I mean, I'm not upset. But yeah. <laughs> it's clear what they're doing there. Yeah, it's pretty clear what they're doing. But uh, all that to say, because of her demeanor uh, on the ship and then thusly with the crew while they're after they've just landed, it makes moments where they are finding the clothes and she puts the dress on backwards. It kind of makes it a little bit funnier because she's right. so hard and straight. And, right, and the guy's right. just I think you have that garment on backwards. <laughs> yeah. It makes those nice little character interactions stick out a little more and have a little more weight to them. Even though, yeah. you know, played for comedic value, you kind of get an insight of she's so stiff that she can't see past the end. See, she can't see the forest through the trees as it were. Right. Uh, right. But this guy, you know, he's able to integrate seemingly almost immediately. How? would he know that that garment's on backwards right yeah you know so he's he's able to pick up on it pretty quick but yeah he's I a little more the, intuitive than she is i think exactly and i think the the third vulcan that ends up living with them in the apartment almost kind of becomes irrelevant because we he doesn't have really, a whole lot to do yeah other than um you know he he's a plumber and maybe the earth lady has a crush on him right and also the kids call him <laughs> Mo. Yeah, they call him Mo. <laughs> oh, that's so great. I think it's pretty funny. Uh, he is apparently a stooge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then we've got Minefield, where... Well, um, we didn't talk about Ann Cusack, though. That's true. The, that's you true. You can't, yeah. you can't just skirt past Ann Cusack in this episode. <laughs> He's great. Yeah, she does uh, a great... She plays Jack's mom, the, uh, the tavern owner, mm-hmm. uh, the main Earth lady. Well, the one that ends up getting uh, a little uh, very friendly with uh, Maestral. I kind of wish that there was a side. I think if this had been made maybe 10 years later, we may have gotten like a webisode. Yeah. Of two of them in their life. And I think that would have been a lot. Of I don't fun. know. I, I thought she was great in it. I mean, I like yeah. Ann Cusack. Of course, she's one of the Cusacks, the Hollywood Cusacks. Yes. John, <laughs> uh, sibling of John Cusack, Joan Cusack. Yeah, Joan yes. Cusack, yeah. Uh, but she was in like a lead of her own and and Tank Girl, mm-hmm. both alongside Lori Petty. Yeah, Lori Petty ever in Star Trek? She is. She's got to be. She looks like an alien. <laughs> I mean, in, in a good way. Like she looks like she could play a Vulcan. Like you know, yeah, like, yeah, like a T'Pol type. She generally keeps the hair pretty tight, so yeah, a Vulcan would work well. I think she'd be cool as like fellow resistance person with like Kira Norris, Nana Visitors character on Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Um. But yeah, she's kind of got that sprite little. She's she's feisty, but but again, she's in an episode of Voyager. I found yeah. out she is. <laughs> yeah. And Cusack also most recently is in The Boys. You, oh yeah, she starlights. Watch the boys yet? Oh, dude, you gotta heard, watch the boys. I've heard the wife and I have just settled in for a rewatch of all of X Files, so it might be a while before I get to the boys. That's like eleven <laughs> seasons or ten seasons. Yeah, and a couple movies too. <laughs> the boys is um like eighteen episodes or something total. Oh, <laughs> it's well, two maybe, seasons and they're short. Maybe we could. Uh, do that. You should watch it. She plays Starlight's mom on there. Anyway, oh. she's excellent. Nice. Uh, yeah, that's all I got as far as that goes. But oh, and the Velcro. Let's talk about the Velcro, Todd. Yeah. Um, 
that is that is that against the prime directive what she's Ooh. doing mm. i i did fact check to see when velcro was invented and this is actually pretty accurate it's pretty yeah it's pretty velcro, close this is set in like this episode is supposed to be set in 57 velcro was patented in 58 yep. so it could very well be the I case thought, i thought i was gonna get them <laughs> I thought I was going to get them on that. And no, uh, they did their research. But I think that I feel like that's against the prime directive. Well, I think because um, I think I, you know how, well, I mean, they you still, know how impactful Velcro has been to oh the gosh. space program. The on space Earth? Pro- I was about to say the space program has mm-hmm. definitely benefited from from yeah. Velcro and bra sure. and brassiers and brassiers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wait, specifically the space program benefited from brassiers? Everyone benefits from that. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, fair enough. But yeah, I think, well, it's interesting because at, at the time the enterprise is actually taking place, there still isn't a prime directive. So oh, there's not. Yeah. Not, and not this a, was 100 years earlier. Exactly. So, but yeah, so that wouldn't. Officially. Doesn't she say something like they've got, she indicates that they've got like their own version of something that would be like the prime directive where they're right. not supposed to like interfere they have Vulcans. A I don't rough, what it's called. Yeah, but. they have a rough equivalent of it. It's not exactly what the Prime Directive is, but they have some sort of some things that are in place to. So again, if, not specific, but yes. So if her giving the Velcro to this company means you know Velcro gets patented, it starts getting used on on spaceships and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is she responsible in the long run for the creation of Starfleet? Oof. She started that ball rolling. She did. Uh, with her Velcro trick. Hmm. Otherwise, they're going up there in pantaloons and spats and, and uh, yeah, and, and three-pointed hats. I think she's responsible for the creation of Starfleet. Yeah, I think Starfleet hinges on Velcro. Yeah. Truly, truly. I know. Thanks to Paul's <laughs> grandma. Hey, thanks. Uh, t- Tamir. Tamir. Thanks, Tamir. 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 <laughs> So we get into Minefield where, again, we kind of get a little more insight into Lieutenant Reed, the British guy. He's the tactician. He's very doesn't like football. He's not a footballer. No, sir. He's all business. And then Archer doing his due diligence as a commanding officer, trying to, you know, establish rapport with senior staff. Mm -hmm. Can't seem to break through the ice until... Yeah. Until he until, until he, he gets, gets stabbed through his leg. That's all it took. <laughs> That's all it took to break that icy exterior. Uh, Just a uh, a giant piece of metal, completely piercing your thigh. Exactly. <laughs> what better way to bring two crewmates? To a bonding experience. Exactly. <laughs> so we get a you know like we kind of got to see a little bit of to Paul's growth through the telling of her grandmother's story. We get a little bit of insight into Reed. How did you like Minefield? I thought it was pretty good. It um it was again it's 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 almost a two person episode for a big chunk of it. It's like a yeah. two person play between him and Archer. Between uh, what's his name? Uh, Archer and Reed. Reed. Reed and Archer. Sorry, I'm still learning the names. That's okay. <laughs> but he uh it, I thought it was pretty good. I thought the uh the mind the mine uh what do you call it where they're disarming it mm-hmm. uh is is suitably intense i think it's oh yeah i mean we obviously know they're yeah. gonna come through 
I thought it's early the, in season the, two. This yeah, isn't yeah. how the Enterprise goes out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did think that them holding on to the shuttle craft plates at the end mm-hmm. uh, had some big Indiana Jones in a refrigerator uh, vibes bit. to it. Yeah, a little bit. Because <laughs> <laughs> I see the real life version of that happening where they just hurtle off into space to never be seen again. Right. <laughs> that explosion goes off and they just go in opposite directions and they're just they're just flip-flopping out there forever until they run out of air. That's how exactly. that goes. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think, uh, you know what? When this episode drops, I think I'll drop a, a question to maybe uh, Mr. Tyson uh, and probably Bill Nye as well and see if they'll weigh in on the, yeah, physics, on yeah, the physics of this episode. I can guess what they're going to say. <laughs> Let's not get let's not get Neil deGrasse Tyson started on the uh, the science of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, I I you know um, you know in the wake of Fast Nine coming out, I think it might have been cool if like the bomb blew them into the uh, section of space, but like Enterprise just opened the hatch door and let them get blown into the yeah into the docking bay, and then they yeah, shut the door like and go. Got the uh, <laughs> like the what's the doctor's name? I want the doctor to be in this in the Vin Diesel role. Flox is holding his arm out like of the window of the enterprise. <laughs> we're not a crew. We're family. They are a family They're They have to be. That's what Archer's trying to say. Exactly. This whole episode. <laughs> is that, listen, we're stuck out here for years. We are, we've got to be a family. Exactly. Man, exactly. we just and, hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Oh yeah. And this, uh, this episode, I'm definitely going to make it a point here to declare my, allegiance to travis mayweather who manually yeah he's the pilot he manually pilots the nx and then doesn't even take a break and doesn't take a break when they offer it to him holy crap (laughs) a nap my dude i you know all love for sulu and anybody else who's piloted uh you know a starfleet ship but mayweather takes the cake man like wow wow this is a boss this is your number one pilot for Star Trek. Yep, a- absolutely. Wow. W- without hands down cuz I think a lot of people would say Tom Paris because of everything with the Delta Flyer and everything, you know, and Voyager. What's that Voyager? Yeah, it's Voyager. Yeah. But like anybody can go fast. I'll take skill over speed any day. Not everyone can go furious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The the t-shirt the t-shirt ideas are flooding my head right now. <laughs> but yeah, this um, you know, whenever I, you know, anybody asks, like, oh, who's your captain? Who do you want as your doctor? Who's, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, Buck stops with Travis Mayweather in terms of helm. Like, yeah, I'll okay. take I'll take Travis any day. Do you think he is a descendant of Floyd Mayweather? Oh yeah. Yeah, let's sure, why not? Yeah, what the yeah, hell? Absolutely. <laughs> you know what? With all of Floyd's money, he got into the space program, or mm-hmm. maybe maybe his kids or grandkids got into the space program. Listen, so many billionaires are flying to space this week. I know. <laughs> uh, Richard Branson, uh, SpaceX, you know, Elon Musk, and Jeff Bezos is working on one too. Saw because I was looking up. I, was I think they should all the- go to space and just stay there. <laughs> stay there. I was looking up uh, stuff for Trek news and found an article of this guy. And um, you'll have to forgive me. His name escapes me. I believe he's out of Japan. Who's planning this, uh, this trip. And he's like, Hey, I need eight people to go with me. 
applications are open. I was, <laughs> I was like, I came home and started talking to Kat. I was like, hey, uh, thinking about filling out this thing online. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Go I for actually, it. Um, I actually, it would be my second time applying to go to space. <laughs> uh, what? Or to, to, be, to be involved with the space program. <laughs> yeah. All right. When you go to space camp or something? No, when Kat and I were living in Florida. Na I mean, of course, NASA's right there. Yeah. Um, they were conducting experiments and you had to, you had to meet a certain criteria to uh, take part in this experiment. And uh, I filled out the application. Unfortunately, so did a lot of other people. <laughs> I was not mm -hmm. chosen. Um, but yeah, I threw my name in the hat. So yeah, I'll do it again. Why not? <laughs> yeah, why not? All they can do is say no. Exactly. Worst case scenario, they say no. <laughs> Oh, so let's uh, let's get into uh, some of the stats here. We uh, we covered Carbon Creek, and the story, of course, was done once again by Berman and Braga, with some help from Dan O'Shannon. And then the teleplay was not Penny. Dan O'Bannon. Not Dan O'Bannon. I double checked that because I was like, <laughs> "Am I? Is this? Am I? No, it's uh, no, it's Dan O'Shannon. Dan O'Bannon would not subject himself to doing a TV series. Come on. Oh, but wouldn't it be fun though? <laughs> <laughs> he, he would not be along to get he would not be able to get along with anyone else in that writer's room exactly <laughs> for the guest stars we've already mentioned uh lovely ann cusack as maggie and she of course uh has had a really great film career and, and a very deep tv career but some of her film highlights we've already mentioned league of their own and tank girl she was also in multiplicity i was having trouble picturing her and then i got to gross point blank and she is amy and i definitely recall yeah amy stumbling up to the table and it's me amy don't tease me you know what i do for a living <laughs> so i definitely remember her she's also in stigmata and uh i forgot in... that movie existed oh yeah <laughs> and stigmata, then uh, wow what a late 90s piece of garbage horror movie <laughs> Hey, you know what? It's somebody's favorite. Somebody, somebody's somewhere like just watched the Nine Inch Nails video and like, let's, I like that aesthetic. Let's turn that into a movie. I hate to tell you what I had on at work today. Hey, I love Nine Inch Nails. That is not a, uh, that is not a knock against Nine Inch Nails. I love Nine Inch Nails. I'm just saying. So up next in the cast list for Carbon Creek, we've got Mr. J. Paul Bomer and his resume is a little sparse. However, three out of the four first credits he has are Star Trek. <laughs> the first two wow, being one of those regulars. Yeah, oh, yeah. The first two being Voyager and Deep, Deep Space Nine. And after that, he was in the video games uh, Star Trek Klingon Academy and Star Trek Bridge Commander. So he are you know, those like mobile games. I think Klingon Academy, I think, is actually sort of like an interactive video, uh, quite literally a video game. Okay. That was uh, sort of a choose your own adventure. I think it's actually directed by Jonathan Frakes, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Bridge Commander is kind of a, you're the commander on the ship. So it's kind of, I think it, I want to say it's VR. It might be VR. Okay. I can't remember. I looked him up because I was curious about him too. Mm -hmm. And he's done a lot of um, soap opera work. Mm -hmm. And he was in um, The Orville. Yep. One of his yeah. most recent credits is The Orville. Yeah. Yeah. I think his most recent thing that I saw was that, the Amazon series, them, mm -hmm. he had, a, I, I don't know. I haven't watched it yet. Although I hear that show is pretty incredible. Nice. Uh, and I read an article in Fangoria just yesterday about the director and the special effects in it. 
I really think I'll be checking that out soon. Nice. I'll have to put that on my list as well. And then uh, rounding out the uh, guest stars here, we have Mr. Hank Harris. He plays Jack uh, Maggie. That's the kid, right? That is the kid who's looking okay. to go to college. He's got uh, he's got a lot of TV stuff, mostly TV stuff. Yeah. Uh, he's done X-Files and, of course, this appearance on Enterprise, Supernatural, Grimm, okay. Salem. And then uh, we just wrapped up talking about Total Recall over on Cinema Shock. And uh, he was in he was in the man in the high castle. Oh, right. another PKD. Oh, yeah. I love nice. me some Philip K. Dick. Absolutely. And then, of course, he was also uh, once upon a time. He played Dr. Jekyll and he was also on the remake of uh, Twin Peaks. So, oh, the the return, the return. Yeah. Wow. He plays a prison tech. So, you know, that doesn't help. Second, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say probably a background prison dude. tech. Yeah, I don't remember prison, man. I gotta go <laughs> back and rewatch that, right? And then Big Twin uh, Peaks fan, we've you got uh, Minefield, which uh, it was written by John Shaban, and I was unfamiliar with him and then pulled up his stuff. He was a big chunk of X Files and the Lone Gunman. He worked on X Files for seven years. Nice. Uh, before getting uh, to work on and the, Enterprise. And the one season of the Lone Gunman. And the one season of the Lone Gunman. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, the Lone Gunman's good, though. You should. You guys should work that into your X Files. Oh yeah. Watches. I said. You know, if we're if we're doing if we're doing and then watch Millennium. I, yeah, I think if we're gonna do Millennium's it, awesome, go dude. ahead and just make yeah. it all of the stuff. All the yeah. yeah. Let's get into the reason that we grouped these episodes together is they are both directed by James A. Contner, who actually just turned 74 uh last month. So uh happy late birthday, Mr. Contner. He was uh director of this episode. He did he's done a few things in the Star Trek universe, some of his early work. He was an assistant camera operator on Jaws, little a little known movie called Jaws, Jaws in 1975. Wow. <laughs> what a great way to start your career in film. Yeah, not not a bad first credit on your resume for sure. And then, and then uh, he did The Wiz. And then he was on The Wiz. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that movie's great too. Yeah. And then later that same year, he was the cinematographer for Dick Donner's Superman. Really? And, uh, he also did Jaws 3D, which, you know, it's it's not the first one, but it, you know, it's a movie to the well. Yeah. <laughs> then he started getting into a lot of TV stuff. Uh, he's got these few film credits that we just mentioned, but his, the bulk of his resume is a lot of TV. Reading his resume online and you can find it in a couple different places, wherever you choose to look, the, look up that sort of thing. You can see he's the journeyman. He's the guy that fills in yeah. the cracks. He's like, hey, we got an episode where... The director, you know, the director we had fell out, but we j we just need somebody to fill in, and he's like, "I'm I'm there. I'm he's Johnny on the spot." So yeah. he did a he did a lot on Miami Vice. Uh, he was the director of photography uh, for eleven episodes of that, and he directed four episodes. He, one of the TV films that he did, he actually won, or excuse me, he was nominated for a. 1987 primetime Emmy for Outstanding Cinematography for Crime Story, which is in 1986. And then he uh, was also the cinematographer on Monkey Shines, which we also covered on. No yeah. Wow. Yeah. So wait, so this guy, this guy has worked with George Romero, mm -hmm. with Steven Spielberg, mm -hmm. with Richard Donner, rest in peace. Yep. With Sidney Lumet. Uh -huh. on the whiz and with michael mann because michael mann created miami vice yep he sure did 
That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, and those are just, those are people behind the camera. Like, look at the casts of those. He worked with some really great people. Yeah. <laughs> like he is, he is Don really Johnson. Gotten, yeah. For a guy who, again, James A. Connor, not many people know that name. And even in the Star Trek franchise, his, his, his resume isn't really that deep here, but like this dude's got some chops, man. Um, yeah. And he's, he's definitely got some really great credits in terms of TV directing. Like I said, it's a lot of one episodes, but it's stuff you've definitely heard of 21 jump street, the flash series from the nineties adventures of Briscoe County jr. Hell Lois yeah. and Clark. I love Sequest. Briscoe County jr. Oh yeah. It's, it's, Sequest 2032. Is that different from Sequest DSV? I believe it is. I think 2032 was the first one and then DSV was later. Um, Roswell, uh, we already mentioned uh, the X-Files, but he also did an episode of the X-Files, Dark Angel, Smallville, The Dead Zone, another Stephen King property, Yeah. Uh, Firefly. And then I know we've mentioned Mr. Contner once before. I believe it was an episode of the podcast where Gary was the guest, but he has directed 20 episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I think wow. is tied for Joss Whedon. And uh, he also did uh, a couple episodes of Charmed, Angel, and Dollhouse. So he's a big Joss Whedon guy between Firefly, Buffy, Angel, and Dollhouse. He's literally done every Joss yeah. Whedon series. Yeah, yeah, That's exactly. So uh, he did direct uh, five episodes of Enterprise and then... Um, let me let me back up a little bit and just say that uh you know he just turned 74 and his his i think his last credit that i saw was 2016 so he may be retired as i mentioned it's kind of hard to find information about this guy a lot of tv directors and a lot of folks behind the camera don't get a lot of fanfare and there's not a lot of info readily available but the episodes of enterprise that he did do dear doctor which has gotten a lot of love on this podcast uh from multiple people carbon creek and minefield which we just covered and then uh upcoming episodes the communicator and horizon and for this episode of carbon creek uh mr contner actually won the or excuse me was nominated for a 2003 Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. And I think that's sort of best episode of television uh, in that particular category. Hugo, of course, uh, dealing with a lot of genre property. And he shared this this nomination with Chris Black, Rick Berman, uh, Brandon Braga, and Dan O'Shannon uh, for the episode Carbon Creek. So if he is retired, which we're not really sure if he's officially retired. but I hope at 74 he's... (laughs) getting a little rest yeah yeah enjoy <laughs> enjoying a well-deserved rest right <laughs> uh so mr connor if you end up hearing this thank you so much for the work that you've done congratulations on a career that's covered a lot of genre stuff that so many people have enjoyed for man a lot of great many shows. years yeah. many many years that's awesome yeah so any uh any parting thoughts about uh carbon creek or minefield or mr connor's work well, man, I just think I I would have to go back and watch some of his other shows, uh, either on Enterprise or other shows. But from what I've gathered just from these two episodes, he seems to be a guy who's focused on like character, you know, mm-hmm. over spectacle or anything else. Like those those are the major focus of both of these episodes, which I think, you know, obviously not every episode of every TV series can be that. But I mm-hmm. think those episodes are really important to 
getting the audience to to really care about the characters. You have to have those character-centric episodes. And he did two of them back-to-back that made me care about characters that I had not cared about that much before, you know, exactly. <laughs> like, and especially I'll... in the case of Reed, who even throughout that episode, like he's very cold at the beginning. And that's both of these episodes are kind of about a character who starts off kind of cold and then kind of opening up towards the end. You know, yeah. you get a little smile out of Reed at the end, just a little, but you get yeah, a little one. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and definitely that bond between him and Archer, at least is yeah. much stronger. It also gives you a lot. It gives you a lot of uh, development for Archer too, or at least the insight into his character like this is a guy who cares about his crew as if they were his family exactly exactly and i'll go as far as to say that for someone who again looking at mr contner's uh, resume he started as a camera operator as a cinematographer you don't normally see someone on the technical side care that much about character development and script elements like he does which it which is great because I feel like that makes him a more well-rounded director. He's got the technical side, but also can clearly identify the story elements that have to be in place to create a singular strong narrative. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Well, next week we will be joined by my good friend and fellow comedian and Justin Bishop's uh, classmate. Yeah. We're in high yeah, Mr. He was Andy a couple of years younger than me, but we had some art classes together. <laughs> That's awesome. Andy um, Cummins. Andy Cummins will be coming on the big show, and he'll join us for the discussion of Enterprise Season 2, Episode 4, Dead Stop, which is kind of, I mean, it's obviously the next episode we're talking about, but because of the events of Minefield, that leads us to the events of Dead Stop, where Enterprise is in desperate need of repairs and well, it's they, missing an entire section of the ship yeah it's had a <laughs> yeah, huge hole blown I, yeah i remember like that sh- shot towards the end of this episode where they show that it fly by and you see all the damage i was like oh man they really messed that ship up uh-huh. like, uh, oh, did anyone yeah. die though nobody died like, i think yo hoshi got a there were some concussion they say there were casualties but i think it was more like i think they misconstrued the term casualty to mean injury so, you know, met uh, sick bay is overrun, but I don't know that they specifically said how many, if any, died. I feel like but somebody would... definitely got sucked out into space. There's a oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> of course, uh, you can find uh, season two, episode four of Enterprise available on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, and of course on Paramount Plus. Justin, we've mentioned Cinema Shock quite a few times. Give people the rundown. What is Cinema Shock? It's a podcast. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Cinema Shock is a movie podcast that Todd is a uh, one of three co-hosts, along with me and Gary, who was on this show last week, mm-hmm. uh, where we talk about uh, cult and genre films, and we walk through the creation uh, of those films in, in pretty high detail. We, we tell you how these films were developed, how they were created, what their legacy is, and all that stuff. We are currently in the middle of a series on um, Paul Verhoeven, who you probably know best as the director of Starship Troopers and Robocop, but he did a lot of other cool stuff. It's called Sex and Violence. We're talking about Basic Instinct next, and then Showgirls, which I'm very excited about. (laughs) I haven't seen Showgirls in a long time. (laughs) The wife has been adamant that I'll be watching that by myself. (laughs) Her her loss. (laughs) 
exactly. <laughs> and uh, Justin, where can people find uh, the show and where can they find you on the internet? Uh, the show is at cinemashock.net or, you know, all the normal podcast places or we're on Twitter and all that stuff at cinema underscore shock, Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, Discord. We have a Discord channel, which maybe one day I'll get Todd to join and maybe we'll start a little Star Trek section of it or something. But actually, we started one uh, back when you started this show and you popped in. <laughs> that is one of my goals for season two is to be more involved online. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, cinemashock.net. You can find links to everywhere where you can find us to listen or all of our social media and Discord and all that stuff. Uh, it's all there. Me personally, I'm at Justin underscore Bishop on Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd where I log all the movies that I watch. And I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials from all of us at the Computer Resume Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you in 10 forward. That's the bar. It is the bar. <laughs> <laughs> to send us your subspace transmissions to computerresumepodcast at gmail.com or at Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Computer Resume podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop. Our outro music was provided with permission by Drone Node. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn. And I'm Cat Davis at that.darn.cat with a K on Instagram. The Computer Resume podcast is part of the Slice of Fried Gold Network. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods and we're gonna find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold? The Klingon crew.